Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we aim to inspire you, to connect you with like-minded colleagues, to innovate and push you out of your comfort zone, to create robust debate, to encourage lifelong learning, and to empower you to create more impact as a dietitian. Dietitian Connection acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where you're listening. I'm on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Welcome to our Dietitian Connection podcast. My name's Jane Winter from Dietitian Connection, and I'm an accredited practicing dietitian. Our podcast episode today is supported by Dairy Australia. Now, we will be talking about some dietary interventions, but the podcast is not medical advice, which needs to be tailored to individual circumstances. We're providing information only, and professional judgment needs to be exercised before deciding to use any of the information provided. So today we're going to be focusing on the aged care setting, and the state of nutrition and food provision in residential aged care, particularly in Australia, has received a lot of attention in recent years with the Royal Commission hearing uh, numerous stories about inadequacies and failings. A recent World First study, which was conducted in Australia, the Fractures Trial, found that when dairy consumption was increased, older adults in residential care experienced a massive 33% reduction in fractures, 46% reduction in hip fractures, and an 11% reduction in falls. And we've previously spoken on a podcast with Sandra Uliano, who was the lead author on the study, about those results. So you can go back and have a listen to that um, to refresh your memory. But she also found that increasing dairy was an easy and really low-cost intervention at less than $1 per resident per day. But we're finding that dairy intakes are still below the recommendations amongst aged care residents. So today I'm speaking with Louise Murray, a dietitian who works in aged care, to get her first-hand experience on how we can improve the food offerings and influence multidisciplinary teams to make the changes to food service practice in aged care. Louise is an accredited practicing dietitian specializing in aged care nutrition. She initially started her career in clinical nutrition, as many of us did. However, the opportunity arose as a new grad to review an aged care menu where she found quite a liberal dose of party pies and sausage rolls being offered. This inspired her to improve the food quality for older people over the past 19 years, and her consultancy, Nosh Dietitians Co., based in Western Australia, now specialises in consulting directly to aged care organisations and also mentoring dietitians to become leaders in aged care nutrition and food services. So we're really looking forward to your insights, Louise. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jane, for having me on board. Excited to chat with you. So I mentioned that you started an aged care with a menu review, um, but was that your first interaction with aged care nutrition? Because aged care nutrition is probably not necessarily the starting point that many graduates see themselves working in. No, and that was actually one of the areas that I said when I left uni that I would not work in aged care and I wouldn't <laughs> do menus. And Never say never. Famous. Exactly. <laughs> so my dad actually started an aged care company when I was four. So it's oh. an industry that I had grown up around. And that was probably one of the reasons why I was like, that's not where I'm going. I'm definitely cut out to be a hospital clinical dietitian. 
And six months after working in a tertiary hospital in Perth, um, my dad came over with a stack of menus and said, we've got party pies and sausage rolls on here, we can do better. And that was literally my brief. Um, I don't know about you, Jane, but I think we had a two-hour lecture on aged care nutrition at uni. And so I had literally zero foundations for aged care. But the challenge of, okay, well, I need to do better with this menu, um, the challenge of going into an aged care facility for the first time and stepping into a kitchen and being yelled out of the kitchen by you know, Chef Gordon Ramsay style was something that at the time absolutely terrified me. But then walking into the dining room and seeing the residents with really low quality food on their plates and really chatting to the residents and seeing how disappointed they were with the food, that to me just really a little bit of a spark to go, okay, we can actually do better. I don't know how that's going to work, but I'm going to make sure it happens. And so I worked in aged care and hospitals for about seven years before I realised that, no, aged care is is my jam. That's what I really love. Um, I love the challenge of it. It's diverse. It's varied. And there was no real pathway for us. I think as hospital dietitians, that's a very clear pathway. Mm. For aged care, it just wasn't even a role when I was showing my age. But, you know, 20 years ago, it just wasn't even a role that we could even think about. And so that really appealed to me. And I just feel like it was it was a purpose-driven role for me. It wasn't just about, um, you know, improving one person's health and they go home. It was I can do much more than that for our older people. So that was where my journey started. And I, I, I have kind of grown that role into really helping support other dietitians now because it's such a, you know, as you mentioned in the intro, it's got such a highlight now for our older people, as it should, but now we've got more resources and scope to actually make a difference. Yeah, and it is exciting, isn't it, that whilst obviously we still have quite a way to go to improving it, the fact that there is a focus now, there's an understanding that, you know, good nutrition, good food, enjoyment, all those things are so integral to your quality of life. It's a great time to be involved. Absolutely. And excuse me, and I couldn't encourage dietitians more to, to have a go. One of the things that I hear time and time again from dietitians is I don't actually know what to do. I don't know how to do anything other than individual referrals. So we've we've got a bit of a way to go. <clears throat> excuse me, a bit of a way to go to upskill our dietitians and really grow their confidence to make the impact that we can make. Because we know, as you said, we know how much of an improvement we can have with our older people with their quality of life just through good nutrition. And I really have to fess up and say that very early in my career, I was called in to do a aged care, a menu review, and I just can hardly bear to actually think about what I probably recommended or even how rudimentary the review was. Like it would have been literally a script of this is what a menu should have, you know, the cycles and that sort of stuff. Don't worry about just overall quality and enjoyment and those sorts exactly. of things. So um, my apologies to those uh, residents in that facility. <laughs> We've all been there, Jane. <laughs> yeah. um, so, okay, so we're looking at nutrition for older adults and just to make sure that we're all sort of on the same page with the understanding, what do you see are the key nutritional requirements for older people and, and what do we really need to be focused on them eating for optimal health and well-being? Yes, it's a really good question because I feel like we often don't get enough information about what is specific for older people. And 
Um, it's become a bit of a joke for a lot of people who know me that I talk about protein more than a gym junkie would <laughs> because protein is really the crucial element that our older people need and often don't get enough of because of all the other challenges that we have with aging. So <clears throat> poor appetite, not feeling like they want to eat, not being able to eat the bulk of food that they used to eat or just feeling like they don't really need to eat as much because they're not doing as much as previously. So protein is one of those nutrients that we need more of. So we recommend 1.2 gram per kilo for anyone over 65. And when we look at what that actually means for someone on their daily intake, it can be quite a challenge to, to achieve that. We need to make sure they're meeting their protein requirements because of the increased um, rate of muscle decline with sarcopenia with the aging process, and that can happen as, as early as 65. Um, so really we need to get in early to be able to talk about what the, uh, the significance of high-protein intake is and what that looks like for a total daily intake. When we talk about protein as well, we often need to talk about how often people are eating across the day, it needs to be at each meal and snack where possible. So the utilisation of protein for older people um, requires that uh, frequent eating over the day rather than having two or three big doses of, of protein. Vitamin D and calcium are other nutrients that we, uh, we talk a lot about for older people and often people are supplementing for these. And this is where dairy foods become a super important uh, provider of both calcium and vitamin D for bone health, but also for muscle health. And that's something that we, we really need to focus more on now uh, because I think when we talk about bone health, people think, well, if I haven't got enough calcium in my diet by the time I'm 70, then there's no real point. But we need to have these foods high in protein, calcium and vitamin D to make sure that we're maximising our, our muscle growth and maintenance as well. The other two uh, components for nutrition requirements are fibre. We're all very conscious that as we get older, our gut motility slows down. And so having enough fibre to help reduce the rate of constipation and just keep our gut health uh, strong is really important. Again, hand in hand, fibre and fluids have to go together or we exacerbate that uh, constipation. Fluids, I, I think, is one of those things where um, we don't count as much the, the teas and coffees and the incidental uh, fluid intake, I call it. Our older adults in, in the generation they are, they're, they're not really big water drinkers on the whole. So it may not look like eight cups of water a day. It may look quite different. So hydration uh, is certainly another aspect in terms of nutrition requirements. It's not necessarily a, a nutrition uh, or a nutrient, but it's one thing that our older people certainly need um, and don't get enough of. Yes, you don't see them walking around with the 1.5 litre water bottles under, under their arm. Definitely with younger not. people, it's become part of the, their accessories. Exactly. Um, so you mentioned dairy foods um, and the Fractures trial really did demonstrate that they play a key role in outcomes um, in this group and pretty amazing results in terms of um, both falls and fractures. But so can you just, and you started mentioning it, but can you talk us through a bit more details specifically about the role of these foods for older adults and in aged care settings particularly, I guess? 
Yeah, and first mention to Sandra Giuliano for actually doing the research and her team um, to be able to have this nutrition evidence to support our recommendations is really significant and it's going to go a long way, particularly for our aged care facilities to be able to promote these recommendations with this evidence-based information. So we talk about dairy products, so our cup of milk, um, our 40 grams of cheese or our tub of yogurt, but it can also look like other um, dairy sources. So things like adding skim milk powder or milk powder into porridge, for example, mashed potato, things like that. Custard actually becomes um, a, a super important contributor for dairy. We're trying to talk about dairy as in what is the most likely way that our older adults in residential care are, are going to consume it. And it may look different in aged care versus someone who's living out in the community. To be able to focus on dairy for muscle health um, is a really important uh, tool here. And the role of dairy in providing protein as well as other essential nutrients to slow down that rate of sarcopenia is really what we're trying to focus on here. And it goes hand in hand with the, the fractures trial and research to show that when they're reaching their dairy serves of three and a half serves a day, we actually reduce the rate of falls and fractures, which when you think about the cost to the facility of nursing care, uh, wound care, all of those extra nursing hours that they need when someone comes back from hospital with a fall and a fracture, it really does make it a cost-effective way to be able to prevent these significant events for our older people. Dairy is a really high quality protein and it's a really easily uh, ingestible form of protein. If you think about when someone who's an old adult who loses their appetite, they're much, much less likely to reach for you know, their meat and veg and they might be easier to have some cheese and crackers or I call it tea and toast syndrome for our older people. I don't feel hungry, I'll just have uh, a bit of toast and a cup of tea. But what about if we had some toast with uh, some melted cheese on top? What about we had some scrambled eggs with grated cheese in it on toast to go with their cup of tea? So they're just really easy, small ways that we can get dairy into uh, our older old adults. And familiar, I guess, too. Exactly. They're all familiar food. So it's not exactly. like you're introducing something that's never been tried before or anything. And no. You'll generally be able to find something that an older person will like in the category. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the other benefits as well. There's so much variety with dairy foods. It's not they have to have one particular type of food. There are so many different ways that they consume it, so it's really versatile. It's actually really cost-effective. When you think about the amount of protein they're getting from a dairy food versus a, a meat food, for example, it's really cost-effective and it's really easily accessible. If we think about our old adults you know, going into the shops, it's really easy to access it's affordable. And for our aged care settings as well, it's a really cost-effective way to get enough protein into our older adults as well. Um, we can make it texture modified, for example. It's mm. it's really um, one of those versatile food groups that we can just extend across to every older person in aged care. Yeah, and you're mentioning that protein is interesting. I think that change, you know, years ago, Calcium was really the, the key nutrient highlighted, wasn't Older people, you need calcium, need calcium for your bones. And I, I feel like now we're saying, well, you do need your calcium to stop your bones from breaking, but you actually need your protein to stop you from falling in the first place. That's right. That's right. And just being able to show them that it's really easy. It doesn't have to be in a supplemental form. It can actually be in a really enjoyable way to eat mm. it. So going back to that 
what foods can we get them to eat that they actually really want to eat, which also then contributes to the calcium and protein that we yeah. want them I mean, to eat. Who it's- doesn't love cheese? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I was just also thinking you mentioned that the it's nice to have that evidence base now um, with, with the Fractures trial published. Um, have you found with clinical staff, I guess, more than maybe um, food service staff, that that is a really helpful piece of work to get them over this concept? Yes, definitely, because the fracture trial was actually conducted in aged care facilities. So you're comparing apples with apples. It's not that we've got research in uh, old adults in the community, for example, and we're trying to extrapolate Mm. it over to aged care facilities. The research was conducted in exactly the setting that we're trying to increase the sources of dairy. So we've got the clinical outcomes that have been improved, but we've also got the cost Mm. um, factors involved there as well. So we can actually demonstrate it's not an expensive way to improve health outcomes and clinical outcomes that are positive for older adults. So um, it's such a beautiful trial to be able to show that it's easy it's effective and it's actually a small amount of money to put in for prevention, which could be costly for adverse health outcomes. Yeah, and we'll put um, links to the publications in the show notes. So um, if anyone's interested, and I highly recommend going and having a look at those studies so that you're familiar with them, just to reel off um, as more reason for making these changes. So, Louise, um, as a dietitian working in aged care, I guess both the residents and the facilities have really changed quite a lot in your years of working um, in this area. What have you seen in terms of changes, and particularly, I guess, in terms of the residents? You know, are they older, sicker, more independent, less independent? Yeah, we've seen a, a really significant change in the landscape. I would say even in the last five to ten years, yep. we're seeing people come into aged care who are uh, less mobile. They're more what we would consider high care um, compared to what they were previously where, you know, we had some residents who were still driving coming into aged care facilities, but that's not the case now. We're seeing people staying at home longer. We've got um, increased funding for people to stay stay home longer with home care packages. So the transition into aged care facilities, we're seeing higher acuity uh, older people coming in with higher needs higher rates of malnutrition, for example, that we do actually need to really focus on um, improving their food quality from literally from the minute they step into aged care and not when we're getting referred down the track. Yeah, and I think that that is key, isn't it, that you want to, you don't want to wait to see the weight loss because potentially they've already had weight loss prior to coming into aged care. And so you need to be very aggressive with older adults in managing malnutrition. Yes, so some of the work that you're doing sort of recently, um, what do you see as the, the typical, if there is one, typical diet of an aged care resident and, and what sort of changes do you start making? Yeah, this is a really important question, Jane, because I feel like we have seen, and the Royal Commission highlighted a lot of this as well, I feel like we're seeing a higher intake of what we would consider discretionary foods or low nutritional quality foods. We're seeing higher volumes of nutritional supplements used because of the the lower or poorer quality of uh, food in general at aged care facilities. 
Another concern of mine is that we're seeing lower protein content for evening meals. So we're really focusing a lot on trying to provide their, all their protein and nutrients at the lunchtime meal, whereas evening meals are often kind of the, the poor forgotten cousin where they just have something light and, and, you know, fairly small in terms of quantity, but they're also poor nutritional quality meals at the same time. Um, I'm seeing limited nutrition knowledge of care staff, which can be a problem. Uh, one of the biggest frustrations for chefs is that they go to the effort of making all these really good quality food and it goes up to the uh, the wings or the dining rooms or the serveries and then it's up to the care staff to then provide the food, but it gets left in the fridge or it gets left um, and not being given out to to residents. So that's where a bit of the disconnect is between clinical and catering. And I feel like dietitians are really that that catalyst to get mm. the the conversation happening between clinical and catering because that's often where a big challenge is um, in actually getting the quality food to to residents. And what are the, some of the practical ways that you actually address that? Because we know that there's quite a high turnover or we hear that there's a high turnover of care staff. Um, we, maybe the English is not first language. Um, how do you, in the facilities that you consult to or go to, what, what are some of the strategies you put in place to try and get that education continuing? Yeah, this is a really important one. But as you said, um, English may not be their first language. Uh, our care education doesn't always include nutrition. So, you know, we can talk about protein foods, but it doesn't actually correlate to what that looks like on a plate for yes. our care staff who are providing the food and providing yeah. assistance for our older people. So that's where I feel like a lot of our education needs to be. And it doesn't need to be a formal education where we get everyone into a training room and we've got a, a PowerPoint presentation. I see education as part of our every time I'm on a facility um, visit, then that's part of my role. Mm. So I'm following the tea trolley and I'm helping them practically. Okay, so Mavis needs a smoothie. Have we got the smoothie out of the fridge? How much does she have? Does she need a, a beaker with handles to help her independently consume it? Have we got the cheese and crackers for those residents who don't like sweet food to morning tea? So the education on the ground or on the floor, as I like to call it, that's where we make the biggest impact. And it sounds a little bit, um, I've had dietitians say to me, but that's not really my role. I'm there to go and do my individual referrals. But how I see it is we can't get our older people to consume the food if we haven't trained the staff that we're working with to provide it to them. And so that's where I see our role. That's just what we do in aged care facilities. It's not, a, you know, a, a time that's, um, you know, put towards one particular resident. Right. That's part of our role across all residents so that everyone has the opportunity. And I always talk about do they have the opportunity to consume these foods? And that's that really highlights that point about just how important those staff are in the nutritional management or well-being of these residents because the dietitians are not handing out morning tea and afternoon tea and if your resident just asks for a cup of tea and isn't offered, like potentially they will say yes if they're offered the cheese and biscuits or yogurt or smoothie, but if they're not offered it, they won't necessarily ask for it. Exactly. So even just having that baseline information for them on what are the foods we want them to eat most and how do you offer it and how often do you offer it? So they're just really practical strategies that we can work with carers. And is that sort of 
standard for every resident. I mean, obviously some will have specific dietary requirements like gluten-free or lactose-free or something like that. But other than those, would they? Would you be trying to get them to make those sort of offerings to every resident, you know, with their snacks to make them more nutritious yes. meal occasions? Yes, definitely. We can't provide adequate nutrition with just three meals a day for our older adults. We have to rely on two to three snacks per day as well. And when we talk about even, for example, having extra dairy foods, it's really difficult to meet three and a half serves of dairy across three main meals. We need to include it in the snacks as well. And that's where it becomes really important for all residents to be able to consume dairy at least once to to twice across those snack times and it can look really different you know an easy cheese and crackers or a, a smoothie or you know it doesn't have to be anything fancy yeah so when you sort of started touching on the challenges that you face in implementing what seem to be easy guidelines have more protein have you know more nutrient dense but um if you're working walking into some facilities i guess for the first time and you're getting a bit of a blank look in terms of you know and I guess you know people are rightly kind of protective of the service that they're providing and may feel a bit defensive that you're coming in saying it's not good enough what are your sort of first steps when you walk into a new facility and and you want to try and lift the quality yeah that's a really good point Jane because it's a really tricky one we want to We want to come on board with them. We're not there to point the finger and say, you're doing this wrong. The Mm. food quality is not good enough. We're not going to win any battles here and it's not going to serve the older adults that we're looking after. So the things that I talk about with dietitians is being able to go in and build those relationships and conversations with your key staff, so your chefs, your facility managers and your clinical managers to really get an understanding to start with of, what are their challenges? What are they coming up against that you might be able to help them with rather than coming in and doing a, you know, a tick box assessment and going, no, that's not good enough here, fix that. So being able to come in and, and just be an information gatherer, that, that's what I like to start mm. with. If we have data and information, it helps us find where we can give them the quick wins. So if we're giving them quick wins, it means that, um, firstly, our older adults are getting better quality yeah. food, but it also means that we're building the relationship with these key stakeholders that they go, oh, the dietitian's actually coming in. She's really helpful and and she's given me these recommendations and it actually worked. So one of the things I talk to chefs about and quite often they'll see the dietitian walk in and it's like, oh, no, they're rolling <laughs> their eyes. They're like, what's she going to get me to do now? But when we're coming in and we're saying, how can I help you? It's a different relationship built because we're coming in. I think about it. I put my hairnet on. I'm in the chef's world. Mm. How can I help the chef to get what they need to do to get the best quality food out to the residents? And so this is something that dietitians don't feel confident or comfortable doing because it's not our, um, our natural setting, but it's really where we need to go to be able to make change. So get in and have the conversation with the chef have a conversation with the facility manager. What's the food budget like? What? Where are your challenges? Do you have lots of weight loss at the moment? Um, are your supplement costs high? How can I help improve nutrition but also help them as a facility? Yeah, and so 
You mentioned getting into the kitchen and, as you say, that probably might be an unfamiliar place for dietitians to set foot into. But I guess just like working in any environment, if you go in with a curious nature and you are just saying, I don't know about this, I want to understand it better, then I imagine that the chefs are quite willing to open up and talk to you about it. Yeah, definitely. And because I I think we're all foodies at heart, that's probably why we got into Mm. dietetics to start with. And so when we're talking about food with them, I think about food in in aged care as food for medical purposes. So I know what I want nutritionally for our older adults, but what chefs are really good at doing is making it taste amazing. Mm. They make food taste great. That's what they're good at. So how can we combine both of our skills? I can help give them a bit more guidance in, okay, for example, how can we pull uh, more dairy in so we're reaching three and a half serves a day? But, Chef, what do you think? What do your residents really like to eat? Are they um, really keen on on desserts? Are they like puddings with custard or are they more health conscious? And so is it that we're adding cheese to salads or finding out more about what the chef knows would work in his kitchen or her kitchen or with their residents, and then let's let's combine those forces of our knowledge and their knowledge to get nutritious food that is really good tasting, it's accessible to our residents, and they want to eat it. And do you get to do lots of tastings, Louise? Absolutely. <laughs> best part of the job. That's the best part, that's the <laughs> of the job. So just in terms of sort of the back end, I mean, that's that's how you present to the chefs and the food service staff, but... Do you have tools that you use to sort of formally assess menus or is it all qualitative or do you do quantitative as well? How do you actually go about just really briefly a menu assessment? Yeah, it's a mix of those. We are fortunate that we have the uh, Dietitians Australia menu and mealtime quality assessment tool as a framework. And it's a magnificent tool because it looks at both what's being provided on the menu but also what's being provided in the dining room. So we're assessing portion sizes and what's happening in the mealtime assessment. Is there adequate assistance from staff? So it's a really, it's a mix of quantitative and qualitative um, assessment. And if someone comes to me as a a new dietitian and says, I'm doing a menu for the first time, what do I do? That's my starting place because it gives a really straightforward template for them to be able to work through. So it starts giving you some insights into not just what food is provided, but intake and factors affecting actual consumption. Exactly. So we all know that food is only uh, nutritious if it's eaten. So how I see it is paper menus are not not acceptable anymore. Um, One of the other things that comes up quite often with our larger aged care organisations is they have a centralised menu, it's assessed by a dietitian, and then that's just approved for all facilities. But what that doesn't do is assess what is happening in this particular facility to be able to say that all residents in this facility are getting what the menu says they are. And that's where I feel like as dietitians, we need to be really proactive to make sure that that on-site assessment is part of the overall menu assessment. So do you find that um, in some of those bigger organisations who have the, the menu across a number of sites, there is quite a lot of adaptation of that menu according to the site? Yes. So you really, yes. dietitians do need to get into and have a look, see what definitely, that food is looking definitely. like. Definitely. But one of the big areas as well, Jane, is um, portion sizes, you can't assess it based on a paper menu. 
Um, so, for example, I had a, a facility recently where the menu actually looked good. I was a little bit sceptical because the food budget was a bit low to what was on the food menu itself. And then when I went to the facility to assess it, the portion sizes of the meat um, and protein components were smaller than what was recommended. So if I looked out at the menu across the day, our our residents weren't able to uh, consume adequate protein to what was on the menu. So when we go to the facility, this is what we need to be able to eyeball. Do we have the purchase orders from the chef to show that, okay, well, yes, we do have 100 grams of of protein um, for a main meal for each resident or are they just not buying enough to start with? So it's all of these com- combination of factors that we need to be able to assess on site. Yeah, 100 grams of meat or protein food, you mean, rather yes. than protein. Yes. Yep, okay. Um, so I guess a lot of dietitians who are working with an ageing population or an aged population are also working in the community. Um, which I guess brings all of its own challenges and, and we did want to focus on residential aged care. But um, what are some of the things that you're seeing when you work with older adults in the community to try and increase their nutritional you know, adequacy of their diet and particular protein? Yeah, we're seeing a lot, particularly when we're talking to independent older adults or even older adults who may be in what I would call the young older adults, so that 65 to 80 uh, age group where the focus has really been about low fat and about heart health and often dairy foods get reduced or restricted in those periods. And so it's really about having a look at what they're eating across the day and just having the conversation with them about what nutrition means for them as they age. A lot of older adults don't like to be considered older adults, but we're really talking about how their body changes over time and most significantly about their muscle mass. And so we talk about what are the things that are really important to them. So things like maintaining their independence, to be able to keep driving or to be able to go walk with their friends uh, and have a coffee every Sunday or whatever they like to do. These are the things that are really important that we focus on, but what that looks like for their dietary plan is having enough protein, having protein spread across the day, having more than their three main meals and eating, I call it eating on a, you know, according to the clock rather than based on their Mm. appetite because otherwise they just don't consume enough food. One of the things I talk about, so I, I even had this conversation with my parents recently of, looking at what the dairy foods they have over their over their day and what is a serve of dairy and just bring it really back to basics and even just having an informal discussion with my parents you know they could see that oh I'm actually not eating enough food what could that look like and having a discussion on really simple swaps so it might be a lot of our older uh, population tend to still make porridge with water because that's the way they've always done it. So making porridge with milk, one, it gets a dairy serving, but it's actually really nice tasting. It, and, and the feedback I get is that they really enjoy it much more. Yeah. Can we add some uh, grated cheese into this grand bodies? They might have a cooked breakfast on the weekend when family visit, for example. Or do they like to go out and have a full milk coffee? So what are those, I like to call them the incidental ways of, of improving the dairy intake in their diet across the day. But then just the really easy, simple swaps. As we talked about before, dairy is um, relatively inexpensive to bring in uh, for a good quality protein. 
but just having those really simple swaps to help people in the community. If heart health is something that um, has been a focus for them and they want to, you know, lower their their fat intake because they've got high cholesterol, for example, choosing low-fat dairy products are still just as effective as, as contributing the calcium and protein that we're wanting them to consume. So we would rather them have low-fat or lactose-free if they need that rather than just skipping the dairy altogether. So just having that focus of it's still important, but let's just adapt it to what your, your needs are. And once again, as we mentioned before, there's so many options in terms of people that do require special diets. I, th- I think it's fascinating. It's going to be fascinating to watch the so-called older population in the next 10 years. At the moment, we're still dealing with the heart health and the, you know, weight sort of group of people that are very much on the low-fat area. In 10 years, we're going to have people on plant-based diets, intermittent fasting, you know, time-restricted eating. And, exactly. And that might be my time to retire from yeah. HKJ. <laughs> it's going to be, oh, no, um, HKJ will stop serving food between, you know, <laughs> 10 p.m. and 7 a.m. or 10 a.m. just to have the restricted eating times. Um, yeah, so so the issues are the same in older adults in their homes in terms of the need to pay attention to protein intake in particular, but some of the other nutrients. But potentially there's more scope in how you can actually get them to adopt those um, increases in dairy foods, for example. Yeah, and just really, as I said, simple swaps, but also bringing new ideas in. Um, It's very easy for us to get into regular habits. And, you know, as human beings, we like to just keep things simple. And you'll find that when you're working with older people, they have the same breakfast every day. They have a very similar lunch and it might be they have a, a you know, a, a round of five different main meals that they would have for the evening meal. But just bringing in some different ideas on what they can have, it, it actually invigorates a bit of an interest in food again because it's not the same thing that they've always eaten and they enjoy the taste of these new foods. And it's not necessarily new. We're bringing in new ways of eating foods that mm. are familiar to them. Mm. And that's what we what we talked about before. It's still a familiarity. If there's people that, you know, don't understand, but if there's people that don't like cheese, we can use other dairy products that that don't involve cheese and that it's just as easy to, to get the three and a half serves in. Yeah, I remember talking to a dietitian who was very experienced in aged care some years ago and she did a menu review for a, a regional um, residential aged care facility and she said most of the people there just wanted rabbit for dinner. And she said, and yet they had sweet chilli scallops or something on the menu. She goes, yes, it looks beautiful, but no one wanted them. They, they were no. farmers. They had not ever eaten that sort of food before. Exactly. <laughs> so I think know the audience. Um, definitely. So, Louise, to, just to finish up, what are, from all your experience, um, if you're talking to a, a dietitian who might be new to this area or just hasn't really had a lot of experience in residential aged care in particular, what are your sort of top tips for really getting those positive changes and, and what are the quick wins that they can try and get um, when they're walking yeah. into a new facility? Yeah, this is a this is an important question. If we're just starting out with aged care, one of the, as, as I mentioned before, finding out that information of where the baseline is, as you mentioned with the the facility where there were farmers and prefer mm-hmm. to eat rabbit, you've got to work with where they are and every facility is completely different. Regional areas, you know, worked in North Queensland versus Perth, they're completely different in terms of what residents like to eat and so we need to understand 
what they prefer to eat and adapt that rather than going in with a brand new menu menu and saying, here, use this. That also makes it easier for us. It takes a bit of the pressure off as dietitians because we don't need to have all the answers. We need to information gather, data gather, and find out what's the current menu like. When was the last menu assessment? I still see facilities now that haven't had a menu assessment by a dietitian for three years. Okay, then we're starting at a different baseline compared to a facility that has regular menu assessments. Finding out from the facility manager and the chef, where are their big challenges? What do they see? Do they have large amounts of food wastage? Or is it that um, the residents prefer a really small uh, variety of, of meals and you're just trying to bring some new ideas in that they can increase their serves of dairy, for example, but what's it, how can we do that in a way that the, the residents actually want to eat it? So some of those really quick wins is, is to do a menu assessment with them. Have a look in the dining room. Spend some time in the dining room at mealtimes. Follow the tea trolley. Always explain to the staff, otherwise they think you're stalking them. <laughs> Let the staff know exactly what you're doing. I just want to see what you've got available for morning tea for our residents and what they like to eat so that we can really bring in some, some new ideas or some foods that they really enjoy to make sure that they're getting their dairy serves across the day. The other component here is we have this research available to us. It is good quality, applicable and really appropriate research that we can use in aged care. So creating the conversations with facility managers and other key stakeholders in our aged care system to show that making these small changes for the input with improving dairy serves to three and a half serves a day costs less than a dollar per resident per day Mm -hmm. and it has really significant positive health outcomes. So using the research to actually drive conversations with key stakeholders to be able to show this is this is the evidence that we have. How can we make this work and more applicable to the facility that we're working with? Yeah. That's there's such great information, Louise. And as always, your common sense approach um, is very much appreciated. And I think for dietitians working in this area, some easy steps to, to get them started on the right track. Um, we will add a link to those publications in the show notes. And we'd also like to thank Dairy Australia for supporting our podcast today. So, Louise, thanks very much for your time. Thanks very much, Jane. And thanks to Dairy Australia for um, for allowing me the opportunity to, to work with them on this project as well. Thanks. To get all of the links and resources we discussed in this episode, you can go to dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review and a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. Tell us what you thought of this episode, what you learnt, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We value hearing from you and we really appreciate your feedback. So please, please hit that review button.